Good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you all being here. We have several visitors with us, and we appreciate you being here. You are our honored guest. We seek to serve God as we see the pattern in the New Testament. That is our goal as, the, as children of God, as Christians. So we come together on the first day of the week to sing songs of praise and to pray and to gather around the Lord's table to remember the death of our Lord and to give of our means and to listen to God's word being proclaimed. And That is what we seek to do. We pray that you will be encouraged by the efforts here and we thank you again for, for being with us this morning. I want to talk this morning um, uh, about what I've entitled here, Preventing a Death. Now, when we talk about preventing a death, I'm not talking about the death of these mortal bodies, because that is something that faces each and every one of us, is a death, a time that we will put off this body, and that our soul will live on in eternity. And that soul will live on in eternity in one of two places, either in, in heaven with our Lord or in torment, away from the presence of the Lord. But this is really talking about the death of the church. We're talking about preventing a death. You know, the church is, after all, um, many ways to describe it. It is the body of our Lord. It is... Uh, the calling out, it is the collection of, uh, of Christians who have come together to worship God. And the church is not the building in which we're sitting. This is a place where we can come to gather together to do those things. But this building is not the church. The church is made up of individual souls. But for the purposes of our discussion this morning, we're going to be talking about the church. And we're going to be talking about the, the idea that if we're not careful, the church can die, at least in this place. Now, please understand from the onset that I am not presenting this lesson uh, to say that the brethren, that the church here in Cortez is dying. I, I don't believe that at all. In fact, I think we have some, uh, some vibrant things going on, and the men have been talking about a few other things, about making some, some changes in the new year that will help us to build and to grow and so some very exciting things are ahead of us. But at the same time, we are not immune from declining health and death. I'm talking about the church here, of course. So if I were to wait until this church was dying to present this lesson, then that would be too late. So this lesson is meant as a, as a preventive message, if you will, to let us make sure that we are holding fast to the things that we are commanded to do and to make sure that we are indeed following the pattern that's set for us in the New Testament and that each and everything we do is authorized in Scripture and that we need to make sure that we are moving forward and we are serving the Lord and we are seeking to serve Him all the more better as our lives go forward. So for the purposes of this lesson, I want to talk kind of in, in medical terms, if you will, so that we can kind of get the idea about this idea of preventing a death. So if you were to think about the health of the church and you wanted to prevent the death, if you wanted to um, prolong the life as long as we can, 
What we want to start with first by thinking about preventive care. What is it that we can do to make sure that we are as healthy as possible? So let's think about some things that we can take on and, and understand that, that we can prevent death if we'll take a few measures. And it starts here. It starts with sound teaching and preaching. If we neglect God's word and go off into, into other doctrine, into other, our think-sos or whatever that might be, we're taking that first step away from a healthy congregation. Sound teaching and preaching is at the root of the church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, as Paul is, is making his way back towards Jerusalem, he calls for uh, the elders at Ephesus and he has a meeting with them and talks about some things and gives them some uh, advice going forward. And one of the things he tells them in, in verse 27 is that he had not, withhold, had not withheld from telling them the full counsel of God. He had not withheld from telling them everything that they needed to know about God's will. That means he told them about salvation through Christ. It means he told them about the importance of gathering together on the first day of the week. It means he told them about sin and how to seek to avoid sin in their lives and what to do when they did sin. So we need to make sure that we are doing that. We need to make sure that we're talking about the good things in, in, in being in the Lord. We also need to talk about the things that separate us from God, and that being sin. So we need to make sure that we are indeed holding to this pattern and this advice that Paul gives these Ephesian elders, that we indeed are teaching and preaching the full counsel of God. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4 with me for just a moment. I want to trace a little line here and just show you why it's important for us to continue to preach and teach the full counsel of God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Paul says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation and teaching. Now, students of the Bible know that Paul is speaking to this young preacher named Timothy in these two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, and he's giving him some advice on what it takes to be an evangelist and what his ministry should be about. And here he's saying, give heed um, to exhortation, to the reading of Scripture. What is he saying? He's saying to teach and preach and to give heed to those things. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So he takes this a step further in his second letter. He says here in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 2, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see there's a, there's a handing down that's, that's being set up here. Paul is telling Timothy he needs to pay attention to preaching and to teaching and to exhortation. Then he tells him that he needs to hand those things down to other men who will then what? Will go on and preach, other, preach and teach others also. And then look back in Philippians chapter 1. We can kind of see a culmination of, of how this comes about and, and, and the, the, the fruit that this yields in the teaching and preaching and, and encouraging others to do so as well. In Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 1 beginning in verse 9, he says, In this I pray, that your love may abound still more, 
in real knowledge, in all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order that, uh, to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How do they come about this knowledge? How do they come about this faith that they are displaying? It came about it through the word of God, through the teaching and preaching. So you see how this is handed down from the preacher to teach to other men who then go out and teach others also, and then you have a church that's functioning, that's vibrant, that's healthy. And it starts with that sound preaching and teaching. Another way that we can think about uh, preventative care uh, is that we need to make a commitment to pursue godly things. Look over in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. You see, we need to make a commitment to, to pursue godly things. Not things of this world, but rather the things that are above. As he says there in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. There's lots of things on the earth that can distract us, isn't there? Especially in this day and age. The electronics and the social media and all those things that, that play into this. That can distract us, can pull time away that we need to be in, in pursuing godly things. Studying his word, joining together with the Christians and, and encouraging one another. Those are the things where we need to make our commitments. That'll make sure that we're a healthy and vibrant congregation. And then this goes along with that, is the idea that we need to be content with those godly pursuits. You know, sometimes Christians are criticized and say, well, why would you want to live a life like that where you're so restricted and can't do so many different things. And over the years, I've come to understand that if I live a godly life and a righteous life, it's a world and a life full of opportunity and wonderful time and great encouragement. I don't feel I've left anything behind in the world. We need to be content with those godly pursuits. Look over in 2 Corinthians. Paul um, demonstrates this in his, his writing here in, in 2 Corinthians 12. You know, he had uh, something in his life that, that he had to deal with. He, he says it's this thorn in the flesh. Something in his life that, that troubled him. But I want you to notice his attitude and think about it in the terms of being content with living a life to God. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7. It says, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for, the, uh, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, that the power of Christ may dwell in me, Therefore, I am well content with weakness, 
with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See how he's content with the life that he has been given? There was this fleshly uh, matter that Paul had, something that was uh, this infirmity that he had, and he prayed to God three times that God would remove it, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he goes on to say, this is great, paraphrasing. <laughs> that I'll be content with this, that I love the life that I live to Christ. And that attitude needs to come through in us. We need to have that same attitude. Whatever infirmities we might have in this world, we should gladly set them aside for the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. So we've talked a little bit about preventive care. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some symptoms. talk a little bit about some symptoms. When is it that we see the church starting to slip? And as we talk often, this is one of those telltale signs that we can see when a church is starting to slip, when we have a decline in attendance. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. Be turning there as we go. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about coming together and what it means for us to come together and, and uh, encourage one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, our coming together is, 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 is more than just checking off a box. It's about coming together to encourage one another, to stimulate one another to love and good works. How important is it for us to come together to do that? It's very important. It's very important. We need each other. We need to be here so that we can encourage one another. Now, I know that there are things that take us away from some of the assembling of us ourselves together, but brethren, we should make every effort we can to come together. Take advantage of the opportunities that we have to come together. Because we come together, we're, you know, we're studying God's word, we're praying, we're singing, we're encouraging one another. We have opportunities throughout the week to do that. The best we can, we should take advantage of those opportunities. And when we start losing that, when we start seeing a, a decline in, in attendance, that's one of those symptoms that the, the church is, is starting to become unhealthy. There's another thing that we can look at, and that's a lack of concern or care for the brethren. Look over in 1 John chapter 4. You know, we are told in so many different places how we ought to love one another, how we ought to be concerned for the brethren. Here in 1 John 4, beginning in verse 20, he says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment which we have from him, that the one who loves God 
should love his brother also. Brethren, when we stop loving and stop caring for each other, we're not demonstrating love to God. This is so important in a life of a Christian to be concerned and to care for our, our brethren, for each other, to reach out, to help, to show concern for them, and not just to show concern, but to take that next step and to do something for them. Put that concern into action, and then you're caring for your brethren. When you see that start to fall away from a church, a church is becoming unhealthy. They don't care for one another like they should, like Scripture tells us that we ought. Something else that we can see as we uh, think about some of the symptoms that a, 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 a church might d- demonstrate as they're starting to slip in their health, and that's a neglect in the work. A couple of ways that we can look at that. First is to think about the financial work of the, of the church. There in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Paul talks about a cheerful giver has to set aside as, as one is purpose in their heart to give back to the, to the church. The church has financial responsibilities and commitments to keep the lights on, to keep the yard mode, uh, to keep Bible class material, to pay the preacher. There's commitments that the church has made. And it's up to the brethren, up to the members of this congregation to make sure that our financial needs are met. Make sure that we are giving as we should. It's not a tenth as it was in the, under the old law. The tithing under the old law, we have a new standard. 1 Corinthians 16 says that we are to give back as we have prospered. We make that determination as we have prospered. So we give back to the con- congregation so that the work may continue. When we start seeing the numbers slip, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly committed to the work here in a financial way? And when that starts to slip, we need to be very careful and very mindful of where the church is headed. I I deem this custodial. I think you'd be hard-pressed to to look in the New Testament and find uh, the upkeep of the church building. Because I mentioned from the beginning that this is not the church. This is the building in which we meet. But if you look there in 1 Corinthians 14, we we see some uh, some ideals that are laid down, some, uh, some thoughts here about how we ought to conduct ourselves and how we ought to care for the assembling of ourselves together. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about that. He's talking about when you come together. He's talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy, those spiritual gifts. He's talking about how to properly administer those. Now, we know we don't have those anymore, the miraculous things, but we do have the assembling of ourselves together. And a lot of what Paul talks about in here applies to us in that manner. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, at the end of that, he says, Let all things be done for edification. So in the midst of all that he's talking about here, he's reminding them that all things need to be done for edification. So when we think about the upkeep of the building, preparation for the Lord's Supper, all the things that need to be done, all these things need to be done so that we edify one another. And if you look over in chapter, at the end of chapter 14 and verse 40, it says, but let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. So that gives us the precedent, doesn't it? That tells us how things ought to be done. 
So the things that we do here ought to be done orderly and in a proper manner. That means the building needs to be clean. That means the Lord's Supper needs to be prepared. That means the light and the air conditioner or the heat needs to be turned on. That's where we get our uh, necessary inference, our expedient to prepare for the worship. And not just on Sunday morning, but Sunday evening and Wednesday night, whenever we decide that we might come together and study God's word. We need to make sure that we are working and things are done for edification and properly and in order. We started with teaching and preaching, and we'll, we'll end with teaching and preaching on, the, on this section. It's so important. It is so important. In Hebrews 5 here, the Hebrew writer is rebuking his audience here because they weren't advancing as they should. In Hebrews 5 and verse 12, it says, For though at this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, but he is obeyed. But solid food is for the mature, who because of their practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We started with teaching and preaching, and we're going to end with teaching and preaching. That's how important it is. And if we're not advancing in that, if we're letting that slip, we need to be very, very careful and recognize that we're headed to an unhealthy church group, an unhealthy body. We need to make sure that we're not on milk as we go along in our lives, that we advance past milk and we get to that solid food, which is the mature, which is the deeper understanding of Scripture. And we can't do that if we're not working and teaching and preaching from this congregation. There's a term in the medical field called triage. I think it's French. It looks French. Triage means that you, that you set up a priority um, for the wounded, and especially used in military sense. You have a whole group of wounded people. You have to go through and decide which ones need care first, which ones are the most critical. We can apply that to what we're talking about here. We need to make sure that if we start to identify some of these symptoms, then we need to triage that. We need to set in order uh, the things that are lacking. We need to make priorities. First thing we need to understand, if we see some of these symptoms creeping in, is that we need to stop and assess what it is that we're doing. Look in Revelation chapter 3. So much of what I'm talking about here is really encapsulated in our Lord's message to these seven churches in Asia. Especially when we get to this idea of, of priority, of, of assessing what it is that you're doing and make sure that you're doing it the right way. In Revelation 3, as he's speaking to the church at Sardis, beginning of verse 2, he says, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour which I will come upon you. Wake up. 
Isn't that the call to us? Stop. Wake up. Assess what it is that you are doing. He says here, um, strengthen the things that remain which you are about to die. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. If our Lord were to walk through those doors, would he tell us to wake up? Would he tell us that there are things lacking, that we need to strengthen what it is that we are doing because we are lacking and and not completing all the things that God has proposed for us to do? We need to stop and assess. See where we are. Make sure that we are following the pattern. And if we see that we do indeed need to make some changes, then we need to make those changes. If there's something lacking, if there's some way that we can better serve God within scriptural bounds, of course, then we need to make those changes. That's why God has set it up so that each church is autonomous under the leadership of the elders, so that each church may look at the scriptures and see and measure themselves against the scriptures to see if they're living up to the standard that's there. In Revelation 2, I read this a moment ago. As he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, he's, he praises them for the things that they have done, for rooting out false teaching and not abiding by it. He, he praises them for some things that they were doing right. But in verse 4, he says, But I have this against you, against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds which you did at first, or else I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Repent there. What does it mean? It means to make some changes. It means to, to look back and see what it is that, that makes the church what it is. It starts with the love of God. He says you have lost your, left your first love. You've fallen away from God. Yes, you are rooting out and, and um, opposing false teaching, but you're doing it obviously not out of the right reasons. So we need to make those necessary changes as well. We, if we stop and assess and see that we're not doing something at all or not doing something to its full measure, then we need to make the necessary changes. Repent. Change before it's too late. And in all this, we need to recognize that there are casualties. After all, the church is made up of individuals, right? Of individual people. And there are casualties in this war that we fight, this, this war that we fight against Satan. And sin is the war and the battlefield in which we battle. Is sin. We talked a lot about it in our Bible class this morning, didn't we? It's a constant struggle, and it's something that we need to make sure that we recognize when our brother is in sin. Turn back a page to Jude, and this short little letter here at the end. There's uh, something that's so profound that might slip your attention as you read through this. Jude chap uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Verse 22 says, and, I, and have mercy on some who are doubting. You see, here's, in this, here's the triage, right? Here's going to be three different groups of people that we need to handle in different ways when it comes to sin. Have mercy on some who are doubting. You know, we have brethren that their, their faith, um, you know, goes through this cycle. Sometimes it's very strong, sometimes it's very weak. The message here is to, uh, 
have mercy on those in their weak times. To understand that, that we all go through this ebb and flow, that there might, he just might need some time to regain his faith and regain his strength. Have mercy on him. But look at the next group, verse, seven, uh, verse 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. You see, sometimes a brother has gone too far, and you've got to snatch him out of the fire. That's where our triage comes in. He's the one that needs attention first. He needs to be pulled out of the fire. He needs to be pulled away from sin. And then the third group. On some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You see, there's some that we need to recognize that they need to be corrected and changed because their sin has an influence on people around him. His garments are soiled by it. In other words, there's an influence here that's going forward. That needs to be corrected. He may not be as, as high up on the triage as, as the one that needs to be snatched out of the fire, but he's pretty close. And you need to pull him out of the fire. You need to hate even the idea that he's been tainted by sin. Because the church is made up of individuals. So when we talk about preventing a death, we need to understand we're talking about individuals. We're talking about individual efforts and the things that we do collectively as a body. But that body is made up of us as individuals. So in preventing a death, we understand, unlike our own mortality, the death of the church can be prevented. You know, we're not going to cheat death. We all face it. But the death of the church can be prevented. But guess what? It's up to us. It's up to us to do it. You know, we have been given this wonderful gift of the fellowship in Jesus Christ that we have. Let's not take it for granted. Let's understand that it requires work. And it requires us to be dedicated to it. And let's not, not leave it up to the next generation. You know, in thinking, well, I'm older in, in, in life and the, the, these young ones coming up behind me, they'll, they'll be the ones that'll, that'll take it and, and make the church grow. We've got to do it right now. Right now is the time. If we don't do it right now, there's not going to be a next generation. If we don't make sure that we strengthen and, and hold fast this congregation, there's not going to be a generation coming behind it. So we need to make sure that we're doing all that we can to make sure this is a healthy and vibrant and, and well-functioning church and not one that's in decline. I'll leave you with this. This kind of keeps popping up in my mind. You've probably heard it before here recently, but... The idea of, of Esther being in the king's court and having the placement there that she can make, make a difference in the, in the lives of Jews. In this great verse here, when Mordecai comes to her and tells her that she has that opportunity, she, he says to her, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Why? Because of God's providence. God is going to see to it that his children 
are going to make it through the plan that he has for them. So Mordecai says, if you remain quiet in this time, relief is going to come through some other means. And look what he says, and you and your house will perish. You and your father's house will perish. God's plan is going to go forward. Brethren, there's going to be churches on this earth until the day that our Lord comes back. So don't think for, for a minute that God's plan is not going to carry through and the church is going to disappear from the earth. It's going to. It's going to carry through. But think about our position. Maybe God has placed us at this place and this time so that we can stand for the gospel here in Cortez. Maybe this is your purpose in life. He goes on to say, And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? Who knows whether or not we've been placed in this place at this time to strengthen this congregation, to make sure that the gospel is going out not only in Cortez, but in the Bradenton and everywhere else we have influence. Perhaps this is the time that God has given us for that. I'd ask you to meditate on those things. Think about the work here in Cortez. As I said from the outset, this is not a warning lesson that this church is dying. This is a lesson to prevent us from dying. Make sure that we're not headed down that path. And make sure that we are healthy and vibrant, seeking to serve God, and understanding our place in all of this. God's word is going to go forth. It's going to continue to sound out. But we're in this place now. We're here in this congregation. We're a part of this congregation. Let's make sure we're giving God our all. Giving him the best. Giving him the first fruits. Make sure that we are a part of that work of the gospel going forward. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. To make things right in your life and and understand that there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. If as a child of God you've, you've stumbled, you're not living the life that you should be as a child of God, I would encourage you to make that right as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.